Welcome to the South Coast Christian Podcast. I'm Pastor Tom Westerfield. On behalf of myself and our entire staff, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope this message uplifts and encourages you this week. Today I asked my oldest son, Evan, if he would once again share. He's shared here before. Uh, He has a great message that I believe God will touch and use uh, in his life, and I just want to ask him to come up to the platform and share. Are you ready? Are you set? Okay. And uh, give him a big uh, South Coast welcome. Well, good morning, everybody. I forgot my iPad in Washington, and the ones here are old, so... It's weird going from a laptop. You don't need to know that. That's just something that's in my head. But, you know, sometimes I like to share the weird things that are going on in my mind just to build connection with people. That way you don't look at me and think, what a weirdo, because obviously that's a very normal thing to think about, the size of the screen being so different. That's where I'm at. Uh, Hi. So uh, I always love being able to speak here. It's kind of my church home. Uh, away from my church home, and so my wife and I love to be able to come down and visit, and then this is kind of, it's kind of become a tradition that I speak on Youth Pastor Sunday, so I, for, I, I feel bad that I took that from Brett. Um, if you don't know, the, week, the Sunday between Christmas and New Year's is called Youth Pastor Sunday, because the lead pastor never wants to speak. So if you, ever, you know, if you ever go to other churches and you always wonder, why is the youth pastor always speaking on that Sunday? That's why. That's what's going on. Um, but today I want to share essentially a couple different ideas, a couple warnings that Jesus gives us, and I think that they would be really healthy things for us to keep in mind going into the new year. Uh, so we're going to be in the book of Revelation, which might sound a little bit weird, but, but bear with me on that. Uh, and I'm going to pray, and then we can get started. Father, I just thank you so much for the gift that it is to be able to gather together and to worship you the way that you deserve to be worshipped. I pray that today that as I speak, that they would be your words and not mine. I pray that as I speak, there wouldn't be a hint of pride in my heart, but that you would use me to effectively communicate your truth and your gospel. And I pray that you would prepare the hearts of everyone here to listen to what you would have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Revelation... And I'd imagine the first thing that you think of, if you're of a certain age, if you're my age, you might be thinking of the Left Behind movies, um, or if you're a little bit older, and let me tell you, those freaked me out as a kid. There was even, there was this weird, I don't know, there's this weird sub-genre of Christianity back, I think it was in the 80s, where a, a group of people thought we should make movies about the end times, which is great, and then they thought, what if we made them just the scariest possible things that we could make? And then parents, well-meaning Christian parents, would show these films uh, to their young children, and I remember one of them, I, I, I don't remember, it might be the Omega Code, I don't know, but it opens up with just a rabbi getting shot to death by a machine gun, and then like seven-year-olds me is like, what is happening right now? Right, like, so when I say Revelation, this might be the first thing that comes to your mind, but one of the parts that I think we ignore is the very beginning of the book. The, the start of the book of Revelation is not the apocalyptic literature, which is admittedly really cool, um, but it, it starts off with warnings. It starts off with messages from Jesus to specific churches that we get, and we get to meet a lot of these churches in the book of Acts, there's churches like Ephesus and Laodicea and ones that we actually see planted. There's a few more that are kind of a little bit more mysterious churches that we don't know a ton about. But it, it's incredible to me that we have in this book 
a series of warnings and encouragement for churches, and every single one of them applies to us today. As, as a church family, we can read these, we can look at them, and we can think about how can we live in light of this warning. And so the one I want to talk about is the message that Jesus gives to the church in Sardis. And so Sardis would have been, would have been, still is, I think the ruins are there, uh, but it's a city off of the western coast of Turkey. It's about 60 miles inland, so it's not exactly right on the port. Um, And this is a very ancient city, and so like all ancient cities, it has a history of being conquered, because if you've been around for thousands of years, you got conquered at some point. That's just the way it goes. Uh, But what's interesting about the church at Sardis is they have these stories, and, and I couldn't figure out when I was reading if they're legends or if they really happened or like a lot of these things it's a little bit of both Um, but the people of Sardis would have been familiar with the idea that two times in their city's history the city was sacked because of the failures of the watchmen and and the watchman's job is is pretty self-explanatory his job is, is is to watch and so you would you would be on the wall and you would be looking out for things. Uh, they could be things like natural disasters, storms incoming, uh, anything like that. But the most important thing that you would be on the watch for is an approaching army. Because if you see an army approaching, you need to get everyone outside of the city, into the city. You need to shut the gates and you need to prepare, prepare for battle, right? And so the watchman, would, it's, it's an incredibly important job. It's also an incredibly boring job. Because day after day, your life would be clocking in. You'd go up on the wall and most likely nothing's happening. And then you'd clock out. I don't know if they actually had clock in and clock out back then, almost assuredly not, but you would be done with your shift and that would be it. And you could go on for 10, 20, 30 years. You could live your entire career as one of the watchmen and never actually have that important thing happen to you. But the other problem with being a watchman is it just takes one time to screw up and and then you're done, right? Like you, all of a sudden you fall asleep on the job and you wake up and you're captured and your friends are captured and the city's on fire and you can't look at your friend and be like, oh, guys, that's my bad. Um, <laughs> next time, I promise, next time I'll be, I'll be better. Like, no, there is no next time. Like you failed as the watchman, that's what happened. And so, La- not Laodicea, uh, Sardis had these legends of twice in their history. The watchman fell asleep and then their city was conquered because of that. So it's an important bit of context to keep in mind. And and this is going to sound a little bit weird, but it reminds me a little bit of my car. And and I'll connect it here. I'll I'll make it make sense, I promise. Um, I drive a, a red 1999 Honda Civic, manual, which is just as sweet as it sounds, hatchback. Um, And I I bought this car off of my cousin, and it was her first car. So I remember after I'd had it for a couple of weeks, I was on the freeway. Um, I I brought down the mirror to look at something, and then I opened up the mirror, and right on the front of it is just a sticker that says cutie, which, you know, it was a really important reminder for me that day to remember that I am, I am a cutie. And I thought about taking it off, but then I realized, you know what? No, I, lo- I, love, I love the fact that this car has character. So still, to this day, those are on there. Um, it's, been a really, it's been a really good car. It gets great gas mileage, all the different stuff. It doesn't have air conditioning, but in Seattle, that doesn't matter, except for like two months out of the year. Down here, that would be a real, that would be a real struggle to not have air conditioning. I don't know if any of you suffer through that, but wow, I can't imagine. Um, but my friends who had old Hondas, they warned me when I bought the car, like, hey, by the way, one of these things these cars are famous for is they get stolen a lot. And so you might want to get a club. You might want to, you know, just take some measures to make sure it stays safe. And in my hubris, I thought to myself, yeah, I'll take care of that eventually, whatever. And, uh, and some of you can see where the story's going. So I, like, I had the car for eight years, and nothing really happened, right? Like, it was kind of, everything was uneventful. And then one morning, I, I left my apartment. 
I went downstairs, uh, I went into the parking lot, and my car was gone. And I went to all of the other parking lots, and I realized, oh no, like my car is gone. I had to call the police, file a report. Um, luckily, they found my car about a week later, like an hour north of where I live. Um, for some reason, the guy who stole it and put a new stereo and subwoofer in there, um, I don't know why, I guess he thought like, well, this is my car now, and I better take care of it. So that was nice. I got to... I sold it, so that was, you know, I was like, sweet. I get, I get, I basically, I ended up making some money, and I loaned a guy my car for a week. Um, so all those things happened, but you better believe when I got my car back, one of the first things I did is I went on Amazon, and I ordered a club, and it came the next day, and from that day to this day, that club, anytime I park, it does not leave the steering wheel of my car. I can be in the nicest neighborhood, in the nicest place, and I would still just instinctively grab the club, slap it on there, and be done, because you know what? Once it gets stolen, you don't want it to get stolen again. And as funny as it sounds, one of the things I realized is that it would have been much easier for me if I had simply lived like my car could be stolen at any time. And instead, I didn't, right? Instead, I kind of put it off. I didn't worry about it. And it cost me. It cost me a week of stress, and it cost me a lot of money to get things repaired when it would have been much easier if I just actually lived in the truth of the fact that, hey, there's precautions that we can take. And I think that's kind of what Jesus is getting at when he gives this message to the church in Sardis. He, he says in Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 1, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then when you received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his name from the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so there's, there's two warnings contained within that passage. And, and the first one is this, and I, I want to make sure that we don't skip over what a scary thought it is. What Jesus is saying is that it's possible as a church to look alive, to have all of the evidence of being alive, but to actually be spiritually dead. And it's a really interesting thought. And I've grown up in church world. Like, I've been in church my whole life, and I've been you know, employed working in the church for over a decade. And so one of the unfortunate side effects is you go to churches that, like, sometimes you just walk in, and you know, like, this church is going to die pretty soon. Like, there's evidence of that. There's just kind of a feel, like, the way people are treating each other. You can kind of understand when that's about to happen. What this passage is getting at, though, is it not just those churches— it's saying that you can walk into a church, that everything looks great, that all of the evidence of your eyes tells you that this church is alive and thriving, but really what's happening is there's a decay on the inside of the church, and it's slowly dying, even though the evidence isn't showing that yet. And, and one of the things that reminds me, it's this idea of, of going through the motions, and it reminds me of the prophets. If, if you read through the Old Testament, one of the big messages of the prophets is to 
not simply go through the motions of the sacrificial system, but to actually have the heart behind what is being asked. Like David famously says in one of the Psalms that the sacrifice that God desires is a broken and a contrite heart. Or, or in other words, it's not just about the cow or the goat or whatever it is. It, it's about you repenting of your sin and bringing that before the Lord. There's a passage in Proverbs that, that always blows my mind every time I read it, but it's Solomon writing about... Um, an adulterous woman who's seducing a young man. And, and what she says is in chapter 7, starting in verse 14, it says, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. Uh, what, what she's saying in that passage is, hey, this morning I offered sacrifices, my slate is clean, so now we're free to sin, however much we want. And then later on I'll offer some sacrifices and we'll be fine there. And, and I don't think it's a stretch to imagine that God would not have been very pleased with that sacrifice, right? Because clearly there's no repentance of the heart going on here. She's just walking through the motions of what she needs to do in order to clean her slate before the Lord so that she can go and sin all of the more. She, she's telling the guy, we, we, hey, we can go sin. I've got it covered. Let's go. And, and you see this happen all throughout Israel's history is they will worship God. They'll, they'll sacrifice. They'll observe the holy days. And then they'll also go home and they'll offer sacrifices to the Baals or Asherah or Molech and all, all these other gods that are in Canaan at the time. And the Israelites are just kind of walking through the motions but not actually having the heart behind it. And, and lest we think that's something that only ancient Israel struggled with, I, I think that's something that all of us today can do. We simply go through the motions. Like, like how often when we roll into church on Sunday morning are we excited to gather together with other believers? Or are we excited to worship God the way he deserved to be worshipped and, and learn more about him? Or are we just kind of checking something off of a box because it's what good Christians do? It's like, oh, i got to go to church on Sunday, let's do that, and then we'll go do something fun after. When we, when we take communion, are we reflecting on the sacrifice of Christ? Are we reflecting on the truth of what that means for us, the redemption that he's bought from us? Or are we just eating a cracker and drinking juice and moving on? When we pray, are we earnestly seeking after the Lord? Are we bringing things before the Lord? Are we trying to strengthen our relationship with God? Or are we just kind of bringing him a Christmas list of things we want him to do and that's it? Do we, do we view God's grace as a cheap gift that we can exploit so that we can sin all the more? Or do we, do we recognize the gravity of what Jesus did on the cross in order to pay for our sins. See, there's a lot of ways that we can go through the motions. And I'll say, I think a church that is alive on the outside but dead on the inside is probably full of people who are alive on the outside but dead on the inside. It's probably full of people who are able to put on a good face, are able to walk through, but inwardly, there's not a desire to seek after the Lord. Inwardly, there's not a, a transformation of the heart. If, if someone met us outside of the church, would, would they even know that we were Christians? Or how long would it take them to find that out? One of the most convicting 
uh, messages I ever heard, I, I remember the pastor said something along the lines of, if someone met you, how long would it take for them to know your politics, and how long would it take for them to know that you're Christian? And for a long, for a long time in my life, that was flipped, right? You would know my politics pretty quickly. I would be, feel free to bring it up, but it would probably take you a little bit to know that I was a Christian. I, I remember there was a, in, in middle school, in eighth grade, I, I led a Bible study on, on campus, and I was overhearing a couple of my friends talk, and, and one of my friends was from church, and one of my friends was from school. And my friend from church mentioned something about, I don't remember what it was, but it was, hey, yeah, me and Evan are going to a, a church event sometime. You should come. Uh, and then my friend from school said, Evan goes to church. And, and I realized what happened in that moment is that I had allowed myself to kind of live two separate lives, right? Like I had my church life and my church friends, and then I had my school life and my school friends. And I never brought up anything about the Lord in my school life. And it was, it was a really painful thing, but it was a really healthy thing. It was a really gracious thing that God did for me in that moment to kind of pull back the layers and reveal my own hypocrisy. And I resolved it. It was in eighth grade. Like, okay, I can't just live, I can't live separate lives. I can't live a life where um, all of the people in school or all the people at work don't know what Jesus means to me. And getting back to Revelation for a moment to this warning at the church of Sardis. The other thing that Jesus brings up is this idea that he will come like a thief. The, the famous one is he will come like a thief in the night. And, and when this is brought up in scripture, it's usually referring to the return of Christ. And I, I think that one of the ways that we've dropped the ball as the modern church, and I don't mean like churches in like us specifically, I mean churches in all church everywhere, so it includes us, but not just this, not just South Coast Christian, I guess is what I'm trying to say. One of the ways that we've dropped the ball is we don't really live, we don't really talk about the end very often. And I think part of that is because we're just incredibly blessed in the time that we live. Um, for most of human history, you, you would not expect to see your children outlive you, but today that's a, that's a common expe- um, expectation. Obviously, tragedy happens, um, but for most of us, that's a thing that we can expect. We can expect our hair to turn gray for a lot of human history. That was a blessing if you ever got to that spot. For, for a lot of human history, as, as a man, like at some point, I would have been, here's a spear, go fight for your Lord. Hopefully you survive. If not, that sucks. Like, the, the, like for a lot of human history, death was around the corner. And, and today we're very blessed that for the majority of us, that's not necessarily so. For the, for the majority of us, we don't really think about death in the end until we're actually at a much older age. And, and I think you can see it even with the, the worship songs that we sing. Um, I'm kind of an old soul. I like hymns, so it, it's a little bit lame. But, but one of the things I like, and I like modern worship music too. I don't want it to seem like I'm just a snob on that. Um, but one of, the, one of the themes that gets explored in hymns all the time that almost never gets explored in modern worship is this idea that we're going to die one day. And, and all the hymns have a verse about it, right? Like in Amazing Grace, it's when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. And Jesus paid it, all, paid it all. It's, and when before the throne I stand in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save, my lips will still repeat. Like all these things are, it's, it's imagining, it's forcing us when we sing to imagine the idea that, hey, we're going to die one day. Like, hey, we're going to be ushered into eternity and we're going to stand before the throne of God. But we don't often explore that theme today. 
And I, I, the reason I say it's important is because when we're reading through Revelation, I think a lot of times we can miss the forest for the trees. Like we think about all of the apocalyptic stuff. We think about the dragon and like what does this represent? All these different things. And we miss that the main point of Revelation is that Jesus is coming back. We, we, we miss the idea that the whole of Scripture, not just the book of Revelation, the whole of Scripture is leading up to this moment where Christ comes back and we go and we get to live in this new heaven and this new earth. And I kind of compare it a little bit to the Messianic prophecies. Um, and what I mean by that is there's prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus. And today, we look at those prophecies and we see, wow, these are so clearly pointing to Jesus. This is incredible, which it is. Um, but I think a lot of times we give a lot of guff to the people who were alive in Jesus' day. Because if you, if you could somehow just scrub the idea of Christ from your mind for a moment, not that you'd ever want to do that. Um, but if you could just read the Old Testament with none of the context of Jesus, it is very easy to come away from those prophecies and be like, oh yeah, a warrior king is going to come and overthrow our oppressors and make Israel great again. Like, like, that's a very normal thing to be able to read into that. And yet they were completely wrong. And, and I think the book of Revelation can be like that, right? I think on the other side of eternity, when Christ comes and we're living in the new heaven and the new earth, we're going to look and see perfectly how all of those things in Revelation were fulfilled. And I bet you a lot of it is not going to be the way that we think it's going to be right now. And so it can be a mistake to be really dogmatic and be really rigid with this is exactly how it's going to happen because that's the mistake the Pharisees made, right? They're looking at all these messianic prophecies and then the Messiah is in front of them doing miracles and all they can say is, well, that's not the way it's supposed to be. So I guess you're a liar, God in the flesh. Shoot. But that's, and it's, it's funny, but that's completely true. That's what happens. And so, and so we have this, this hope of Christ. We have this hope of Christ returning. And we re, when we read through the epistles, which those are letters written by the apostles, and that's all of the New Testament books between Acts and Revelation, right? Those are all letters written. And most of them mention the, the, the hope of the return of Christ, that we're living in light of the return of Christ. Some of them, like in 2 Thessalonians or 1 Thessalonians, I can't remember which one, but Paul has to be like, hey guys, like, you know, don't just quit your jobs and sit in the sun waiting for Christ to return. Like, life goes on. But uh, for the most part, it's looking forward to all of those different things. And as Christians, we're called to live with eternity in mind. It's, it's recognizing that our salvation, it, it's in this weird place of and I think it was Martin Luther who said it, but this idea of already but not yet. And so with, with our salvation, like we believe that Jesus Christ lived, lived the perfect sinless life that we could never live, that he died the death that we deserve to die, and that because of his death and resurrection and, and sinless perfection, that we find our hope in him, that we find our salvation in him. We believe that we're saved because of what Jesus did, not because of what we have done. And so we can hold on to that justification before God. We can hold on to that promise that we are saved. That's something that we have right now. What we don't have yet is that perfect relationship with God that only comes on the other side of eternity. Right? Like, so there, there's parts of it that we have right now, and there's parts that we're looking forward to. There's parts that we know, whether, and however we go into eternity, whether it's by death or whether Jesus comes back, we know that the fullness of our salvation, the fullness of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, will then be fulfilled. And to give you an idea of what that is, in Revelation chapter 21, which for my, for my money, Revelation 21 and John 21 are the two most beautiful chapters in the Bible. I, I could never get tired of reading either of them. Uh, and in Revelation 21, it describes what we're looking forward to. It says in, in verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And I love that reminder of God will be with them, and we will be his people, and he will be our God. To me, that's pretty much what the whole Bible's about, right? <laughs> like, it's about the fact that God is reconciling the relationship that we broke. And then we get to the end, and it's, it's back, that idea of perfect relationship with God. And it's, it's a really hopeful picture, but how often do we live like this could be just around the corner? And I don't, I don't know when it's going to be, right? Like, like, Jesus could return... Next year, uh, he could return a thousand years from now. He could return right now. That would have been cool. Dang it. <laughs> you gotta shoot your shot sometimes and see what happens. But, but we don't know when it's going to be. But, but how often do we live like we could be ushered into eternity at any moment? I, I, again, just the idea of like, as... As Christians, we used to think about this all the time because, again, death was just around the corner. Like, the idea of living to an old age was not something everyone got to do. And we, we've kind of gotten away from this idea a little bit. It, it reminds me of um, my son is, he's seven months old now. And when, when he was first born, uh, I, there's, I don't know, like, if your parents in here, you get it. Like, you, your kids are born and all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, I'm responsible for this thing. Um, so... <laughs> I remember my, my wife and I, we went to, uh, we met with like a financial advisor and said, like, okay, like, let's get like a college fund set up and like try and get some, a few things so we like we're being responsible. Um, and the financial advisor was talking to us. He's a guy that goes to our church and I, I love him. He's awesome. Uh, and I remember he asked me like, well, Evan, do you have life insurance? And I said, oh, no, I don't have life insurance. And then he looked at me and he had a really good poker face because I only saw this face for a split second. But it, I, as I looked into his eyes, I saw the eyes of my father when I was a kid and disappointed him. And it... <laughs> And he looks at me and goes, hey, Evan, like, you know, you need to, you need to get life insurance because you, you want to make sure that if something happens to you, that your wife and your kid, that your family is taken care of. And, and I realized as I was preparing for this message that what that moment was is it was that this financial advisor really lovingly reminding me um, that I need to live like the end could be just around the corner at any point. And then that it's irresponsible to live any other way. I remember there was a uh, there was a men's conference that I meant uh, that I went to, and there was a soccer player named Steve Zakwani who spoke, and, and he was talking about how he had a conversation with his mentor, and his mentor was talking about how the, the, the goal of life is is to die empty, that that the goal of life is is to get to the end, and to be able to go into eternity saying I. That's it. That's all I can give. That's as much as I can do. 
Uh, he, he used the analogy of a mango tree, and he's saying like, when a mango tree dies, what you want to say is that it produced as many mangoes as it could possibly produce, and now it's old, and it's ready to get cut down, right? Like, and for us, we produced as much as we could produce. We, we did as much of what God wants to do as we possibly, get, as we possibly could, and now we're ready for eternity. Like, that, that's the goal of life. And I think if we actually lived like the end was just around the corner, I think there's a lot of things that we would do differently. I think there's relationships that are broken. And I think we kind of put off repairing those because we think in the back of our heads, like, I'll get to that eventually. But again, if the end was just around the corner, how many of us would rush to repair those relationships? How many of us would rush to apologize? How many of us would rush to forgive? How, how many of us we kind of hold on to sin and we think to ourselves, I'll, I'll get it figured out eventually or I'll, I'll, put, I'll put this to death eventually. But if the end is just around the corner, how many things would we bring before the Lord in repentance? For, for a lot of us, we're focused on what we can accomplish now. We're focused on what we can do in the moment. But if, if the end was just around the corner, I think our perspectives would shift to what can I accomplish for the kingdom? as much as I can. And, and I'm not saying, you know, this isn't like a quit your job, sell everything and figure it out. And may, maybe for some of you, like parts of that is what's happening. But, but really what it is, is again, being, being responsible, taking care, of, taking care of our families, but thinking, what has God called me to do? And I, I think for a lot of us, if I, if I ask the question, what has God put you on this earth to do? I think something jumps to most of our minds. Like there's something that in our heart stirs. Like we, we know that there's something that God calls us to do. And, and how many of us are putting those things off? Because in the back of our head, we think, well, I'll get to that when I get to it. But, but, it, but if we lived like the end was just around the corner, or if it could be, I, th I think that we would live with an urgency to accomplish the things that God put us on this earth to accomplish. And so the, going into the new year, it's, it's always a... Um, new Year's is one of my least favorite holidays. I don't know. For me, I, I'm, a, I'm a curmudgeon maybe, but I just think like, yay, the earth went around the sun. Awesome. Um, like it's not, it's not a thing that I enjoy celebrating. Uh, but I think one of the really healthy things that happens at the new year is we begin to take stock of our lives and we look forward to 2024. We look forward to what's coming up and we think to ourselves, okay, what, what needs to be different? What can I do differently? What can I do better? And, and I would say that one of the things that we can do is we can go into 2024 and we can remember the warnings that Jesus gave to the church at Sardis. We, we can strive to not just be outwardly alive, we can strive to be inwardly alive. We can strive to be a church that doesn't just look healthy, we can strive to be a church that, that is healthy in, in all of those different ways. And we can strive to live knowing that the end could be any time. And again, whether that's by our deaths or whether that's by Jesus coming back, living with the urgency of wanting to accomplish the things that God put us on this earth to accomplish. Let's pray. Father, I once again just thank you for the gift of your salvation. 
And I pray that it's something that we would never take for granted. I pray that in these moments that as we pray and as we worship, that we would think about the things that you would say to us, that we would think about the ways that we can choose to live with the end in mind, that we cannot be lukewarm, that we cannot look alive on the outside, that we can be alive on the inside. I pray that you would encourage us, that these wouldn't be condemning moments, but they would just be convicting moments. I pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal in our lives the areas where we can continue to go after and love you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Coast Christian Podcast. We appreciate those who give on a regular basis to South Coast because through your giving, we are able to provide these resources. For more information about South Coast, including service times and ways to give, please visit southcoastchristian.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast. Thanks again, and may this week be filled with new opportunities where you can receive and share God's love.